So, man, it's been a really, um, really powerful last week and a half. Uh, for those of you guys that have been around, uh, we, we've been watching and seeing a season of um, battling happening in our uh, marriages, relationships. Uh, I would even add to that in our singleness. And instead of sweeping that under the rug, we desire to, uh, to go after it in prayer. And I mean, God's already, seriously, listen, God's already been answering prayers. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing it every day. I, I had a, a late uh, meeting last night with a couple new good friends of mine and just watching what God's already doing in them is incredible. And um, I have the privilege of showing you guys something. It's, um, it's a story of um, the truth that it's not too late. And so if you're in here tonight, married, dating, single, um, and, and maybe you've lost hope that God could do a work of restoration, that God could heal your heart, that God could take the wounds away. Uh, I want to show you guys uh, a powerful testimony of the truth that it is not too late. The period of grace is still alive and well. So check this out, my friends. I'm John Powderly, and this is my wife, Carla. And uh, we will have been married four years uh, this November. This is my second marriage. Uh, I was married to my first wife for um, technically 30 years. The reason for the divorce was, um, I think, primarily the fact that I had a, a very negative spirit and uh, lacked tolerance and lacked the, the uh, ability to demonstrate love the way I should have. Oh, for me, um, two failed marriages leading into finding the Lord and surrendering my life to Him. But the best way to describe my life up to that point was just destruction and depravity and sin and selfish behavior and unfaithfulness at, at every level. I was just a really broken sort of shell, I guess I could say. We met at church and we were both volunteering. I met her on the first night that she uh, was volunteering. She came up to where I was standing and so I helped her with a name tag and I thought she was pretty you cute. Yeah, she, I thought she had beautiful blue eyes and just a fantastic smile. I remember just sitting um, in my bed and just praying and saying, Lord, if you want me in a relationship again with all of my mess and all of my baggage and all of my destruction and these kids that have been put through so much, just I'm gonna need you to bring that person to me and I'm just gonna wait. Two weeks later, <laughs> I met John and he was the only, first and only man in my life ever who has perceived me with scripture. For me that started kind of the downward spiral was after becoming married, mm -hmm. I, I started feeling this uh, oppression of this responsibility again that, and that um, increased the in anxiety that that existed in my first marriage. It, it, it's always been manifested as, as far as uh, kind of impatience and uh, just a heaviness, that negative spirit. And, and in that was abuse. You know, there was abusive language. There were a couple of situations where uh, physically it got beyond what, what I would like to have been. I had always just been so desperately looking for love and acceptance and um, just unable to find it. I think I looked at this marriage as another way out, as another thing that was gonna fill me up and, and heal all of this just um, deep, deep pain. I'm a scrapper, so then I'm, I'm gonna fight and I'm gonna take you out with my words and I'm gonna make you feel like you're so small and that you're completely incapable of good decision-making or caring well for me. Or I'm gonna just, you know, notch by notch, just take you down. And it was my defense, I always had been. Um, it's what I had watched happen in my family of origin. It's how I thought women related to men. And so um, that was my MO. And whew, you can imagine those two personalities together. So it got pretty brutal. It was probably a year and a half into our marriage and we were gonna have a garage sale early in the morning. So I had shared with one um, particular sister that we were having this garage sale and she came early in the morning to bring us breakfast and coffee. And as we were opening the garage door at 6 a.m. or whatever, we were just involved in this bitter battle. 
I mean, screaming, yelling, slamming, throwing, as ugly as it gets. And I was ready to just get in my car and drive away. And here she comes walking in. And she sees it all. And then, because of my, you know, I'm like, oh, oh, hi, everything's fine. You know, I have to put that face on. It has to look a certain way. John doesn't have that in him. So we're both at either extreme of this. And so he's like, he doesn't care. And he's, he says, you go commiserate with that woman, you know. And this is where, I think for me, it was sort of a starting point um, for healing because the Lord used, I mean, she was Holy Spirit prompted to show up that moment at that, at that time for sure. Um, because she came and she sat down by me and I'm a wreck and she put her arms around me and she said, I love you and I love John. And the Lord wants to see this healed because he wants this marriage, you know, for his glory. He wants you on mission for him. You need to tell some people about what's going on here. Yeah. Heard it, you know, and it's true that healing doesn't occur in hiding. Mm-hmm. But I immediately got calls from a lot family leader and our number two, and uh, just just saying how you know how how can we help you? And and my first reaction was to be oh you know they're in my business, and and then you know mm-hmm. that the Holy Spirit just gave me peace in that and and I looked at it totally different as you know these people care about me and they care about us he was teaching us how to accept his love through his people we've 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 hung in there we've we've allowed people to speak into our lives and and had ears to hear Mm -hmm. we've been blessed that that we have people who love us both that would be my encouragement to anybody is is to is to trust God in this and, and know that, that if, you, if you stick with it, that you'll be blessed. The Lord kept me up all night, Friday night, just showing me video, really, of this whole journey. And the banner that flew over all of it was, Behold, He is making all things new. He makes all things new. And nothing is too hard for him and nothing is beyond his reach and he is faithful and he, and we are living proof of that he makes all things new he makes all things new So I know uh, some of you uh, feel still, even after last week, you feel alone. Um, You're not. And uh, I love what John said, man. It has resonated so much as I studied 1 John uh, chapter 1 and 2, even after what he said. Um, The the lie that if I just just keep my sin uh, to myself and in darkness, then, then then no one ever has to know me. And if no one knows me, then people will still love me. And what a lie that is. What a beauty that we get to experience together. The more that we find out about one another, the deeper we get a chance to love one another. Not because our love is somehow like magical, but we love because what? Come on. Because he first loved us. You see, like we've experienced that grace and that love. And so I just, I want to invite us together as a body as we continue to walk through this chaos of a life together. Listen, let's continue to air the things that we have held so captive and let's watch God continue to do a work of healing, believing that he can. Amen? And so tonight I pray that for you. We're going to wrestle with some tough stuff. I mean, it doesn't stop now. As we look into God's text, like it's going to be very revealing of each of us. And I'm asking God tonight to bring things into the light. And as he does so, I just believe he's going to do a tremendous work. So if you guys have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians. Last week we paused from 1 Corinthians. Tonight we head right back into it. And uh, I know some of you are brand new here. I want to welcome you again and let you know we, just, we study the Bible verse by verse. And so I want to re-catch all of us up on the situation in Corinth. Uh, It's named 1 Corinthians because it's written 
uh, from a man named Paul to a church that he planted in Corinth. It was a very strategic geographic location. Uh, cue the isthmus here, okay, my favorite word in all of uh, Corinth. So Corinth sits right there as a uh, uh, kind of by the land bridge of these two ports. Uh, I showed you guys a picture when we started. There's a, a four-mile connector piece, okay, a canal that connects these two pieces of land. And, and so because it had ports on both sides, Corinth was a very, very strategic city for sex, for uh, debauchery, and, and also for the gospel, uh, and that's what we have seen happen now is God takes a hold of Corinth and begins to reform it. There's two groups of people in Corinth, just like there is everywhere. Uh, so I want to talk about the situation in those two groups. Next slide. So first of all, in the structure of Corinth, you have non-believers. Uh, the non-believers in Corinth are very cultured. They're very drawn in Greek culture to wisdom. There's a God for everything in the culture. Uh, I shared with you guys before, in the temple system in Corinth, there was one temple specifically for Aphrodite. And of this particular temple at night in Corinth, they, it was thought that a hundred, or a, excuse me, a thousand uh, spirit prostitutes, for lack of a better term, would, would go out throughout Corinth. So this was the culture. There, there, was, there was cultured and immersed in tremendous debauchery because of the union of these ports and sin. On the other side, you had people, uh, after the planting of Paul and the move of the gospel, next slide, you had a believer core there as well. But as we've seen, uh, the issue in the church in Corinth is there were four divisions. Remember, there were some that followed Paul, some that said they followed Apollos, other, others that said they followed Cephas or Peter, and then finally Christ. And, and so the church was very disjointed. Uh, we could say segregated. Paul didn't celebrate this. Uh, this is, I would even say, the reason by which he writes this letter. You came to an understanding of the gospel, and the gospel is unifying. Like no, no longer any Jew or Greek or slave or free that somehow in Christ, because we have one spirit, we're all brought together in unity. And so uh, Paul writes the letter to address this problem. This is Corinth, and tonight we pick up in chapter 3. Now first, actually, I want to point you to where we studied two weeks ago. So let's look at verse 5 through 9. This is the end of our study uh, a couple weeks ago, and then we'll pick up in verse 10. What then, says Paul, is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but remember God gave the growth. And, and I've explained before, Paul's the one that comes into Corinth. He then moves on and continues planting, and Apollos comes in and begins to shepherd the church. But it wasn't Paul or Apollos that provided the growth, it was God. So neither he, or, uh, he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but look at this, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, he says. And here we go, rock and roll, my friends, an unbelievable text. Let's start in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else built upon it. He's built, uh, he's, he's doing some building, he's added to it. Now, of course, he's pointing again here in a different analogy uh, to Apollos. But now we move from agriculture, right? Planted, water, trees, plants, greenery. To architecture. So he leaves the, the, the greenery scene and, and certainly something that this culture would have understood. And now he moves to buildings. But I want to begin here uh, with the first words, according to the grace of God. Previous slide, according to the grace of God. I don't feel like we've fully gotten to the place where we celebrate grace. We like, we go about 70, 80%. And then what happens is we speak out of both sides of our mouth. We sing out of both sides of our mouth. In other words, it's either all grace or not. You either deserve or you don't. He's either lavished or you've earned. Are you guys with me? But we, we say, oh, but, but by the grace of God, we sing about grace. We talk about grace. 
But then in our heart of hearts, there's still this peace that can't fully commit. So I love the fact that Paul, a church planter, writes two-thirds of the New Testament, empowered by God's, I mean, he raises people like crazy stuff. And yet he is reminded again and reminds his readers, according to the grace of God given to me. In other words, everything that's happening in my life is grace. So could I just remind all of you, and maybe we can celebrate this together, if it's grace, then that frees everything in you. And so is it the 30% that you're still wanting to earn, deserve, be merited? Is that the peace that's putting the yoke of slavery back on yourself? When instead, Paul's like, no, 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 listen, like it's all grace. God is the one that provides the growth. It either is that or not. And Paul celebrates it, and I desire us to as well. He then says in verse 10, look at this, like a skilled master builder, which reminds me of uh, uh, the Lego movie. Have you guys seen it, right? What, what, is, what are those dudes called in the master builder? Okay, so it, it, it's exactly that, actually. Um, <laughs> there's a reason why I'm reminded, I guess. Now, the, the, Hebrew, or the, the Greek word, rather, for skilled is better wise. So like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation... And someone else is building upon it. Now, I don't claim to be a, a phenomenal architect, but I do understand a couple things. This, this is probably a good foundation, okay? Next slide. Okay, so you have nice slab of, of concrete here. It seems like we've got, are the, are the little poles called forums? Is that what those are? The little, all right, they're, they're poles, whatever, okay? Um, it's a good foundation, it looks like, right? Like it's, it's on nice dirt. We can see some success stories around it, right? Like things haven't fallen yet. So a good foundation. I, I think you'd agree. Something being built on a good foundation is a good thing. Those of you that grew up in Sunday school, now all kinds of songs and felt boards are coming to mind. A bad foundation is tragic. Crazy story. Check this out. In 2009, next slide. In 2009, this 13-story apartment building in Shanghai fell over. No bueno, right? For the bilingual here, this is not good. Okay? I, I was absolutely enamored by this story. I've got a couple of angles of this that I took from Google. Um, so look at this. Like, you've got one standing. I'm telling you right now, I'm not booking an apartment next door. You know what I'm saying? You know what, honey? Let's go ahead and live down the street a ways, right? Uh, and then finally, you have this angle, too, like... Uh, one worker died, no one was occupying it yet, but, but what happens is, is when something isn't on a sure footing, on a sure foundation, if it's not built upon those things, then uh, tragic things happen. I want to remind you that 1 Corinthians is written to believers. So this whole stream of thinking and writing and teaching is being directed right at Believers. That said, look at the power of verse 11. Look at this. This is awesome. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. What Paul says is there is no other options. The foundation is Christ Jesus. Later in Scripture, we see him called the cornerstone. But I want to bring us back to when Paul planted in Corinth in Acts 18. Fire this laser. Check this out. This is Acts 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia in Corinth, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that what? That the Christ was Jesus. That the Savior was Jesus. That the Redeemer was Jesus. He was laying the foundation in Corinth that all life every source of hope, every piece of love, everything that existed would be stirred and spurred from the Christ. That was the foundation that he was laying. Um, but some things seem like other options, right? Paul says like there's only one option, then why does it seem like there's more? Why does it seem like there's other possibilities? Why, why does it seem like there's other things that we're trying to build upon? I want to show you guys six different options that I see. Number one, progress. Many of you trying to build on progress. And I'm not talking about the kind that the Spirit is leading you in. I'm talking about 
the dreams and the ideas that you have that are going to provide you happiness in your life. Uh, your whole foundation is progress. If, if I can get from A to B and then B to C and maybe even do that quicker than my neighbor, then I have laid a sure foundation for not just me, my wife, and my children, but the generations to come. Uh, many of you believe that somehow that the dollar is going to, in the name of progress, provide some kind of foundation. We use language like that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't save for college and uh, put away for uh, the generations after us. I'm not saying that those things are inherently evil. I'm just saying if you put a green, uh, a green $1 bill as a foundation and try to build on that, the fire will get to it. It will. But many of us, were like our stressors and our anxiety goes on whether that green dollar bill can be built upon. The white fence, the good house, the you name it, progress is not a foundation to be laid upon. Some of us do this. Next slide. Shrewd decision making. If I just make the right decision at the right time and in the, in the right way, then, then like that, that will be the fact. We have to make wise, shrewd, timely decisions. And that will lay the foundation for my success or my family's success or our success together. And it puts all of the onus and pressure on you, which is exactly where it shouldn't be. Because you're proof, I'm proof of how that goes for us. Shrewd decision making. Number three, I think some of us put foundations on adventure. I, I would I would argue this has certainly been one of my battles. I love me some adventure, anyone else? Like I I, I thrive on it. It's it's why I went reverse bunging on the tallest in the world twice in a row. I mean it's it's why I love going to Ecuador. It, it's, it's, it's why, like, you know, yesterday, we, we, all my family, we've just learned how to ride bikes. Well, let me rephrase that. My children have just learned how to ride bikes. I've been riding for a, a couple weeks. But we, 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 we decide, I'm just like, the kids get home from school, and I'm just like, all right, kids, like, let's go. And we, we get on our bikes. I just bought a $40 Craigslist bike. And, and uh, so we, we go down to Main Street, you know, and I just, I just love the adventure. You know, my kids don't wear helmets. I love the adventure. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Some of you guys are getting ready to walk out. What? His kids don't wear helmets, right? <laughs> and then, uh, just, just for fun, so we get down to Main Street, and you know the, the Katy Trail, right? It's not like, it's not like a rubber, right? You know, it's kind of, it's rocky, right? My kids haven't, they've been on like St. Charles sidewalks and streets thus far, right? Barely missing some cars. And, uh, and they get to this, like, gravel road, and all of a sudden, they just start, like, going crazy. I mean, they're falling over. Ava's ripping holes in her legs. They got blood coming out. And I felt super hardcore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we're, like, going down the Katy Trail. My daughter is, like, bleeding down her leg. Dawson, his whole side is rocking. I'm just a proud dad, you know? It's like, <laughs> this is how we do it. Adventure, man. Right. The problem is, though, when you build on that, then you're just looking for the next, uh, the next thrill, then your whole foundation is entirely emotional. What can provide the next stirring? What can provide the next notion? Like, what can give me the next whatever? Like, and many of us are right there. That's our battle. We're building on emotion, on adventure, on the height of our encouragement. Number four, some of you uh, have built on a strong moral compass, right? Like, if we just steer our family, our lives on good morality, if we... If we follow the, uh, the golden rules as they were in our culture, if we, if we live and exist in that, then that will be the foundation that we need. If all we have is a strong moral compass, then our children will come to Christ. Problem, right? God is the one who saves, not a strong moral compass. I'm not saying that we shouldn't direct our children in the way they should go. That's what Scripture says. But I'm telling you, morality is not going to save your kids. Jesus will. And so if we build all of the structures of our lives on just morality, then what, what differentiates us from the world that's trying to be good people? Nothing. The world needs to hear. Our kids need to hear. Our wives need to hear. Our husbands need to hear. We're bad people in desperate need of Jesus. And God's done a good work. And now all of a sudden we're adopted sons and daughters. That's what they need to hear. That's what the world needs to hear. I once was this, now I'm this. Okay? 
Number five, some of our foundations have been built on the court of public opinion. In other words, all of your, your foundation is built on what others think of you. As that goes, then you go. That's the foundation. Oh, what do you think about that? Yeah, you're right. And you build some columns. Oh, I, I wonder how people are going to proceed. Yep, okay, so I should, I should structure life this way. Uh, for those people that struggle with number five, building a foundation on that, you're absolutely exhausted. Why? Because every person you talk to has a different opinion. Just go talk politics with somebody tonight. Have some fun. Right? Have some fun. It's proof that everyone has their own opinion. Right. And so if you're following that, if you're led by that, then guess what? You will be entirely exhausted. Because everywhere you turn, someone is going to lead you in an entirely different direction. The most dangerous of these all is number six, what I call add-on renovations. I'll cue the blueprint. Check this out. Here's a blueprint. Okay, I drew this earlier with um, my Etch-a-Sketch. Pretty impressive, right? <laughs> um, now, add-on renovations. So we, uh, in the house terminology, we have a house that we've laid what we perceive to be on the foundation of Christ. But then we're like, yeah, you know what we really need, though? We really need that extra garage. And so in the analogy, we, we step away from this foundation and we start to make our own plans, design our own situations, pursue our own thoughts and dreams, haven't thought, prayed to discern any sort of spirit-led direction. We put, you know, the, the, the fenced uh, or the, the closed-in porch on the back, what do you call it, like a sunroom, okay? Maybe fence doesn't work there, but, you know, you, you add the sunroom. And the foundations of some of these things, you have the premise that your foundation is built on Christ because in the compartmentalized understanding of your life, like 65% of it is. But this piece over here, I'll take that, God, this piece... Over here, I'll have that. This piece over here, God, I'll have that as well. Uh, so the thing that stirred in my heart from these things, and the question I want to ask you and me, next slide, is, is this. Why would we even want another foundation? So it's one thing tonight to say, like, look, we struggle with some of those things. I do. I don't know. But I'm like, I want to discover why. Why would I, in my right mind, spirit, grabbing my heart, like why would I want to build something not on the person of Christ? I want to let that question hang. And let's keep going and watch what Paul does. Because thankfully he answers our question. Verse 12, he says this, now... If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, if, if anyone builds on these things, he says, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And again, he's talking to believers. So he's saying like, all right, in the day that Jesus comes back, whatever you have used as building material, whatever you put on top of that foundation, it's going to reveal itself. Because if it's these properties that can be consumed by fire, they will go by the wayside. If you build it with gold, silver, precious stones, he said they're going to, they're going to hang in there. They're going to be strong. They, we could say, are eternal. Now, what does he mean by all this? We actually want to use what Paul's already taught us in 1 Corinthians to, to show us. Next slide. Check this out. These two categories of things. Let's start with the foundation of Jesus. Next slide. The foundation of Christ, Paul's premise is, is underneath all this. The question is, what are you putting? What am I putting on top of it? What kind of building materials are we using? It's one thing to have the foundation of Christ. It's another thing to say what's going on top. Next slide. Here's some color for you. I hope you appreciate this. In the red, the first, wood, hay, and straw. Here's what Paul addressed in, uh, earlier in chapter 3. Look at this. 
He says, for you, verse 3, are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? Remember what he said after that? What, what does he say? You are merely what? You're merely human. Remember that? So if we're building with the red box, wood, hay, straw, and the analogy, what does he mean? Next slide. He means this. We are drawn by the flesh. So even in the analogy, he says, on the foundation of Christ, you're a believer. Saved by grace through faith. But what you are participating in is trying to build structure on top of a foundation of Jesus with the flesh. And that will not eternally or today go well for you. Go well for me. It will not. It won't just crumble and fall. In his analogy, it will burn. It will be completely extinguished. And so Paul's like, look, there is this tension, the flesh and the spirit, and I understand it rages war. He even confesses that. But as we said a couple weeks ago, if all of your existence right now, out of your mouth you say, I believe in Christ, but everything being built on top of that foundation is of the flesh, do you understand what the world is seeing? They're just completely confused. Your kids are completely confused. Your spouse completely confused. Like everyone's looking in and they're like, you say foundation is Christ, but the building materials say not. The building materials say progress and moral compass. The building materials say that, that you want to design it. And, and I'm, I'm having trouble because you say that you're all about Jesus, but your life doesn't show a desperation for Christ. Your life shows someone who's experienced grace and now is taking it for granted, right? So the other uh, side of the coin here, Paul clearly described this. Now in the blue, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, somebody celebrate with me, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So if we're building on this side, what Paul taught and what we learned early in 1 Corinthians, next slide, is that we are being, as the scripture says, led by the Spirit. Now, the problem, right, is um, we've got some conflicting homes, right? So you got like whatever percentage, like let's just call it half of your house. It's built with strong building materials led by the Spirit of God. We learn about those things, taking us to the gospel, taking us to the character of God, taking us to the interpretation of Scripture. So you got like that side of the house. But the problem is on the other side, uh, it, like you, you've got some things that are crumbling. And so when the, when the earthquake comes, when the tragedy hits, it's like all of a sudden you, you're confused of your identity. And confusion of identity in Christ is one of the most dangerous for followers of him. Because we have full assurance in Christ, Hebrews says, and when we're confused, we step back from that assurance and become hesitant and, become, and begin to get shrouded in shame and regret the very things that scripture says there's no condemnation in Christ anymore. Are you guys with me? So we start to struggle, fail, go through tragedy, and because we've lived in this constant tension of, of flesh and spirit, but, but it's not just tension. I mean, the, a lot of this foundation, a lot of the building materials have been flesh where we get to those moments and we're like, I, I, I don't know that I'm assured anymore. And when we lose assurance, the world sees right through it. Right? So thankfully, Paul's trying to help us. Um, he's trying to help Corinth get urgent. Um, now, again, I, I don't know how, how many of you guys have, like, built something before. How many of you guys have built something, like a home or something from square one, just so we can get... Okay, so we're very construction-minded here. Um, it's like uh, six of us. Okay, good. Good, so we're, we're well on our way. Um, so one of, the, one of the awesome things about going to Ecuador is I get to act like a, um, 
I get, like, I, I wear a tool belt, okay? And I, I always, I'm always, it's funny, I'm like, hey, Heidi, where's my tool belt? Honey, you don't have one. But I ask her every year, you know what I'm saying? You're right, babe. And so where do you go when you need a tool belt? You go to Walmart, right? That's where good tool belts are made, right? So I, I go and I, and, and I love, I love it. Like, I, I love the feeling of, of going out there and swinging a hammer. And again, you guys know I'm not handy. Like, I, 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 we, we've gotten to build, like, literally, like, huge concrete pads. We, we've, we, in the jungle, I got to watch a, 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 a church building go from nothing to all of a sudden concrete and roof and all of it. It is so much fun to watch that progress. Like, every trip, like, we all step back and we're all like, oh, my goodness, and what, what do we say? Like, this is what we made. It's why kids like play, uh, Play-Doh. Uh, adults like Play-Doh, right? Like, right? It's, it's why we like to construct things. Because we want to pull back from the things being constructed. And we want to take the pictures and snap the videos. And sure enough, like, I get home from Ecuador and I'm like, ta-da, kids, look at this. Daddy, what did you do? Kids, I, I did all of this, children, you know? We love it. We love it. Let me say it another way. We crave it. We crave the opportunity to do something with our hands and to step back and say, look what I've done. Which is why we struggle so deeply. Stepping back, being led by the Spirit of God, and watching Him build. Watching Him direct watching him guide. We're still trying to step back and say, but look what I've done. Look at how I've honed my gifts. Look at how our marriage is better now. We fought and we battled and, and, and I wrestled through and, and, I, and I became the man that, that I was supposed to be and, and I, I started shepherding my kids and, and we put all of the onus and effort on us. So we can step back, right, and say, look everybody, I made it. I was hopeless, but now I have hope. Like, I figured it out. I, I, I had an addiction, and I don't anymore. Look, everybody. And all of that opportunity that we take for ourselves, again, we're looking at grace and speaking out of both sides of our mouth. Oh, it's only by grace, but look at what I've done. Look at what I built, everybody. I built a good house. I mean, it used to be on, on shifty sand, and it used to be on a, not a firm foundation, but I, oh yes, I have stepped in. In all my creativity, I've done a good work. I just want to contend to you, church, we can't have it both ways, and we're trying. We're trying. That's why Paul says, I planted, Paulus watered, God provided the growth. It's either grace or not. So, uh, thankfully, this only gets a little bit more heavy. <laughs> Look at this. Verse 14. Uh, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Last week we saw Paul talk about wages. Verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. This is troubling to me. Okay, because what I see here is a little bit of a conundrum. Okay, so we teach and we celebrate. Um, there, there's nothing that we can offer. Our offering is only made an acceptable offering because of because of God, in other words, like he presents his own offering through us, right? Like we say all those things, believe all those things from scripture. And yet what Paul's contending here is, is that in the day, the, the day that Christ comes back, there's going to be a fire. The fire will consume all the things of the flesh. And based on the things that survive, you will, he says, receive a reward. Now, this is a whole separate teaching here, but... Um, the question is, well, what kind of reward? Is God going to be, you know, uh, with a little notepad, you know, and all right, Malone, come on up, you know. Malone did pretty solid, you know, and all right, bro, $3.25, you know, here you go, and <laughs> heaven space bucks, you know, and 
don't spend all those in one place, Mike, you know, and, and, and then you like go into the heaven Chuck E. Cheese, you know, you're like, sweet, but it, it, like it never ends, right? You just go in and it's just like a heyday. All, like, is, is, that, is that the reward? What well, scripture makes clear, we're, we're going to stand in front of the judgment seat of God. I, I want to contend to you, like I, even though, again, there's a whole separate teaching, I know there's all kinds of ways that this can flesh and play out, but I, I just want to celebrate the reward of Christ. He'll receive his reward. It's, it's that Christ will again be made victor in his life. And, and yes, in that gaugement of, okay, like, look, you, you've built some things that were really frivolous, believer, and those things have now gone. So be reminded yet again that, that you will receive your reward in full, the most of which is the opportunity to be in communion with God through Christ. And, and I long for that day and that reward. And again, how the rewards work, there's a lot of teaching to do there. But, but what he also contends in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Again, we're not talking about here a lack of assurance. But it's not providing a way out. It's not so that each of you tonight can say, we'll see. I'll be saved anyway, Mark. What's the big deal? Either way, Mark, like I'm good to go. I can build a house that's halvesies on both sides. And I want to contend to you tonight that Paul is raising a sense of urgency amidst the believers to consider not just the foundation, but what they're using to build upon it. It's why I want to ask not just the first question, but I want to add to it. Next slide. Next slide if you can, Andrew, for me. Not just why would we want another foundation, but now I want to add to it, why would we want to build with the flesh? Why? Why are we doing this? We know we are. We know we struggle. We know we battle. And again, here, we don't just want to fix behavior. We want to ask the deeper question, the core question. We want to get like up in there into your heart, into my heart. Why are we doing these things? Well, maybe you'll remember these. Next slide. Maybe you remember these, uh, these six things. Remember these? Progress, shrewd decision-making, adventure, strong moral compass, the court of public opinion, add-on renovations. Why are we building on another foundation? Why are we seeing other options? Why are we pursuing these things? Can I, can I tell you why, church? It is this. Next slide. We want control. We want to shape our destiny. We long to receive the reward that is duly ours. We want to build the add-on and then step back and say, look at what I've done. We don't want to release a huge decision in our life to the direction of the Lord because what if we don't hear from Him? What if he doesn't provide an answer? What, what if we miss it? And so I guess, I guess I'll just get all of the wisdom that comes from man then, and then just start building up as I see fit. We want and long for control. Uh, many years ago, as my doctrine and theology was being shaped, um, I lived with the premise that God could be sovereign and that I could be too. So like, God was on his throne as king, sovereign. That's what sovereign means, kingship, lordship. And then I like, I like came up to him and I was like, hey, scoot over a little bit there, God, right? Remember, I can approach your throne through Christ. So I'm gonna go ahead and sit up on it, right? And so it's like, me and God? And I sit, like, this was all going through my mind. I'm, I'm sitting up on it and him and I are talking about my life. I put my arm around him. I kind of give him a wink. I treat him like a puppet. And then I say things like, hey God, you know what would really make all of this go a lot better? Uh, listen, if you could just make this, this look like, see that right there, God? If you could just make that work out, that would be awesome. You and I both know it, God. Um, I thought that we could both be sovereign. But what if one of the greatest freedoms 
that comes in Christ is the submission that only he is. In other words, I used to think that his sovereignty was bondage, and now I believe it's freedom. Which is why Hebrews 2 is insane. Check this out. Unbelievable. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. The issue in Hebrews is they were exalting angels and many other facets above Jesus. Of which we are speaking, he says, it has been testified somewhere, what is man? That you are mindful uh, mindful of him or the son of man that, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Check this out, verse 9. Unbelievable as we go on in verse 8. Next slide. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his, what's the word? His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And I'm saying that's a good thing. In other words, we cannot even begin to fathom what sits underneath his sovereignty. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely you. Come on. Jesus, speak that in boldness, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the what? By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And I step back from that and I ask myself again, why in the world would I not long that foundation? Tasted death for everyone. Everything sitting in submission to him as king and sovereign God. And listen, it's not just my relinquishing of control, it's that I don't have it. You guys have heard me laugh before about the Carrie Underwood song, like Jesus, take the wheel. He already has the wheel. I don't give him the wheel. I don't share with God. God shares with me. I can't put my hand and make God a puppet all of a sudden that will just prescribe to my ideas and my ways and my dreams. I actually, in Christ, get the freedom of saying, Lord, thank you that you are a sure foundation and now God, lead me through your spirit to use the proper building materials that will stand the test of the fire in the day. That's my freedom. That's your freedom. That's my joy. That's your joy. And so now the response of all of us is yes, taking a gauge of what has been built and and what we're standing on right now, but even more so. It's tonight, once again, saying, God, help me not speak out of two sides of my mouth. It's either grace or not. I either deserve it or not. He's either extended the opportunity to me or not. And I was telling the guys earlier, and I'm going to tell you right now, if we fully believed in grace, it would change everything. So is it possible tonight, you've been unwilling, I've been unwilling to fully commit to it because if we fully committed, then we really would be saying, God, only by your grace. And there's still something in us that wants to say, and me too. What if tonight we just said, God, help us submit to the reality that the gospel is only by your grace. God, build a way. Build a way. Not on my back, but on your son. Let's stand together. Come on. had a lot of thoughts in my mind about this precise moment right now this exact second and uh, this is one of those moments as a pastor as a shepherd as a guy who loves all of you so much that I, I imagine in my mind like grace just being released over this place 
I've had images of like literally in this moment, those who have been held up and captive for years, like all of a sudden just being loosed and like running around this place and dancing because I, I just believe that's what grace does. It like really does free us. I've had images of marriages that have only been mer- you know, merit-based, back and forth. You did this, you did this. And they never stopped just to consider how powerful God's grace could be. Like I've just had all those images. And so I'm going to pray for that right now. That grace would be loosed on this place. That those of you even who have come here distant forever from the gospel, that you could see, listen, there's a different way through Christ. There is nothing that you have to do. He's accomplished it. He says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, submit to his lordship, and rest in his, in his grace and his freedom. Come to him, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, he'll give you rest. Like, I'm just going to pray for grace to be unleashed. Are you with me? So God, in an unbridled way, like only you can, unleash it now. I just believe, God, maybe years and years have gone by for some of my friends. And they've never fully, not just committed to grace, but even accepted forgiveness. God, I pray that you would do that work in their heart. God, remind the captives that they can be loosed in your son. Remind those, God, who have been holding up past sin for months and weeks. Right now in this moment. God, I pray for a heart of celebration. Thank you, God, that you are the foundation. You sent your son to build upon. I thank you, God, that he will stand the test. That he will weather the storm. I pray, God, that we would be a body that commits fully to celebrate your grace. Do that work in us now. Lavish us, God.